today. Let me explain to our, to our crew guests and maybe anybody else who is visiting with us today what we've been doing for the last couple of months. We've been trying to, to answer this question. And we know it's an odd question to answer because, you know, there is no such thing as normal. Look, looking a certain way is not about normalcy and, and uh, what you like to eat or where you live is not about normalcy. But we're trying to figure out as a church what normal should look like, not in the exterior stuff, but on the, on the interior stuff and on the important stuff about how Christians should live. We're trying to figure out what's it really like to be a Christian. What's it really like to be a God follower? What's it really like to be somebody who says, Jesus is my Savior? Because, you know, I meet all kinds of people who tell me they're Christians. And you would never know there's any difference in their beliefs or their lifestyle than this person who says, you know, I'm just an agnostic. And so we're trying to, trying to figure out what's normal anyway. What's normal for, for a child of God? And so what we've been doing to define that is, is we're looking in the one thing that never changes. We're going to the source. We're going to the scriptures. In particular, we're going to the book of Acts, to the early church. And we're trying to understand um, what's normal. Because we know we can't look at the world around us. Because the world around us has a lot of things to say that they would say are normal. But we know that those don't line up with the word of God. And so we want normalcy for our lives to line up with what God says is normal in his word. And so we're going straight to the source, to God's word, the book of Acts, and we're letting him reveal to us what's normal. Now, for those of you who've been around for the last couple months, I hope what's happening is that some of your thinking is being challenged and tweaked. Some of you are, are looking around at your own life and you're saying, this is what I thought was normal but God's Word's showing me this is normal, and, and they're not completely meshed. And so the good thing about this, some people get upset when they see that stuff, and they go, they go, you know, oh, I'm bad and I'm wrong. No, God is saying, no, this is where you've been, but I want to make you better. I want to help you get better. I want to help you be more like Jesus. God's not condemning us. He's just saying, look it, I'm revealing to you something new so that you can, so you can line yourself up with what's new. And so I'm hoping that, that as, as we're going through this, your thinking has been challenged, and that you, what you're doing is you're, you're overtly partnering with the Holy Spirit um, to say, God, now shape me and mold me and make me better. Make me more like Jesus. Help, help my normalcy look like what you would say normal ought to be. And so I hope that's been going on over the last couple of months and, and over just the next couple of weeks. Um, when we finish this, this series, because we're going to finish in, in April, because in May, May is what around here? May is missions. missions month, so four weeks dedicated solely to missions and uh, local and world missions. And I'll, I'll tell you now, I've been saving it as a, as a surprise, but you know how our structure, if you're visiting, you don't, might not know, we're Portview Church, but we're part of an organization called the Assemblies of God, which is a, basically just a huge missions organization. It was founded 100 years ago this year for one sole purpose, to partner together to evangelize the world. And, um, and so our, we, have, we have like 3 million people in America, three and a half, something like that. But we have 67 million around the world in our organization. And the whole world is broke down into five areas for us. And so there's five guys who are overseeing those five areas. The first Sunday of May, Omar Byler, who's over, he's one of the top five guys in our whole organization, over missions will be our speaker on the first Sunday of May. And so Omar Byler, he's, he's Mr. Missions, and he's coming in to share with us what God is doing around the world in missions. So you absolutely want to be here. So, so what's, hap- what's normal anyway is we'll be wrapping it up in just a couple more weeks as, as April winds to an end. So today, 
let's uh, look at another thing that Acts reveals as normal for those of us who are what, say we are given, we've given our lives to Christ and we want to walk with Jesus. Jesus, we're on a journey with him, a journey of development, a journey of, of understanding and, and exploration and change. So what should be normal for us? And what I want to look at today is answer the question, what's normal anyway? This is what's normal. Living in the reality that Jesus is coming back. So we're going to look at today. What's normal for the child of God? Another, what we're going to look at today is this. What's normal is living in the reality that Jesus is coming back. Grab your Bibles. To, turn to the book of Acts, where we always start. Turn to the book of Acts, the first chapter, and let's see what they understood as normal. Acts chapter 1. You there? Getting there? If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles underneath the seats in front of you. Welcome to use one of those. If you don't own a Bible, take it home. It's yours. Our gift to you. So, you there? Acts chapter 1. You ought to be able to find Acts pretty quick. Now, your Bible ought to just open to it. We've been in it for a couple of months. So, starting in verse 6, we're going to read to verse 11. It says, so when they had come together. Who's they? The disciples, those, those, the early group that was walking with Jesus, he's, been, he's died, he's been resurrected, he's now um, revealed himself to his followers for a period of, of a few weeks. And so when they had come together, um, they were asking him, asking Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which a father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and the cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was, go- while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee... Why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. What do we see here? Two angels. It says two men dressed in white. That's the description scripture of angels um, So very often. So two angels had a message for those who witnessed Jesus' ascension or Jesus' rising up into heaven to sit, sit at the right hand of the Father. Um, They said this, this is their message, they said, this same Jesus who ascended will come back in just the same way. He left and he's going to come back. Friends, one of the most important truths in all of Christianity is this, that Jesus is coming again. Jesus who, right, Jesus who lived and and ministered and was crucified and was buried in a borrowed tomb and rose from the dead on the third day, Um, who then appeared to his followers for a period of a few weeks and then was received up into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father, that same Jesus will return again to this earth. The first time he came to be this perfect sacrifice for mankind's sins. But Scripture shows us that that this next time he is coming to establish his rule and his reign, that Jesus is coming again as a conquering king. Now understand... The early, early Christians, the Acts Christians as we were referring to them. Those early Christians, they understood this. They had watched him rise up to heaven and they had heard the angels' voices. And, and, and they, those people who heard it told other people. 
they had heard they, they had heard him and they realized um, that 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 he was really going to come back, and that affected how they lived. You see, they lived in this reality that Jesus really was alive. Sometimes we forget that he really Jesus is alive today. They lived in that reality that Jesus really was alive, that he really was at the Father's right hand, and that he really was coming back to establish his supremacy. And he was coming back once and for all to prove for, for everybody that's watching, prove that for all of his followers that he was right and that they were right and that they would be blessed in him forever, that he's coming back to prove that. So it affected how they lived. So when they were persecuted for their faith, um, they said, and we see it throughout the New Testament, they said basically this, it's okay that we're going through hardship. Because we know this, Jesus, who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, is coming back, and he's going to make everything all right. And when they were just living day to day in this sin-corrupted world that is difficult, and we know what it's like to live in a world that's been corrupted by sin, it's not always fun, is it? It's not, as a matter of fact, it's rarely fun. It's usually challenging. So when they lived in that, in that situation the same way we do, and they lived in this sin-corrupted world, and everything was kind of a, a disarray in their lives, they would say this, living in this reality, it's okay. Jesus is coming back, and he'll make everything all right. Friend, it's why the church has always referred to Jesus' return to earth as the blessed hope. That no matter what's going on today, Jesus' followers should be filled with hope because Jesus is coming back again to get his bride. That's who you are when you're a child of God, your church, his bride, and he's going to make everything right. Now the fact that Jesus is coming back is a pillar upon which um, our faith stands. And to the Acts church, it was just normal to live in that reality that Jesus is coming back. But, Now, us, Port Washington, 2,000 years later, and we read this story, and we see the account, and we say, yes, he's coming back, but we deal with something that's real. He hasn't returned yet. It's over 2,000 years later, and we say, he said he's coming back, but we don't see him coming back. Because of that, I see a couple of responses typically from Christ's followers, and I'm saying for people who really are followers of Jesus. To some Christians, this is the first response I see, to some Christians, what happens is that, that, that this truth, they live as though the truth that Jesus is coming back, that truth really isn't even real, or maybe I'd say it this way, they probably believe it, but they don't even really think about it. But that reality doesn't exist in the daily life that they live, and, and they don't really they don't really come with the, to terms with the fact that Jesus is alive, really, and that he could come back. So they kind of live in a sense of, of Christianity is just about theology. It's just about ideas. But there's very, really, very little reality to the nowness of Jesus in their lives and very little reality that this just might be the day that you're going to meet him. So they kind of just live in this, this sense that, yeah, I, I know God and I love him, but he's kind of distanced out there. That's kind of the one reality I see or reaction I generally see to this reality that Jesus is coming back, but it's been a while. The other one is, is this. Other Christians, um, 
they do, they absolutely, they, they embrace the word of God and they embrace his coming. And what they try to do, because it's been a long time, is they try to figure out and speculate about the hows and the whens and the wheres of Christ's return. They're trying to figure out all the details involved in the second coming of Christ. And you know what, I'd say this, that's okay, that's fine and that's good. Digging into scriptures and trying to figure things out. You know, I'd never discourage somebody from studying God's word. And so they, they kind of dig into it and try to figure it out. But, but here's what I know from church history. Um, that historically, in that attempt to figure out the hows and the whens and the whys and the wheres, some have gotten a bit goofy. You like that word? Goofy. Say goofy to the person next to you. You ever think Christians get a bit goofy? I've seen a few goofy Christians in my life. And historically, in an attempt to figure out these things, I've seen some people get a bit goofy and they tried to set dates and they tried to define certain places and certain signs in the skies or whatever and, and try to define certain people as being you know key players in, in some prophetic you know puzzle. And so what we do is we get people who are Christians a lot of times pretty respected who who get go out on a limb and they say, well this is how it's all going to pan out. This is how it's going to work and, and some of you are too too uh, young to remember but I remember as a new Christian um, uh, only been saved for about maybe uh, four or five, six years, there was a book that came out and it was The Buzz. You know, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Could Come in 88. And everybody was reading it and everybody was convinced, you know, Jesus is coming back and, and uh, just everybody, a lot of people were. And they were, they were doing crazy things. They're selling their houses. They were quitting their jobs. They were just going to basically living like communes and saying, we'll just wait till Jesus returns. Well, guess what? He didn't come in 88. So the author, and I know the pastor of the church, that, that this guy attended, the author of that book, and he said, man, it was crazy. So what he did is it didn't work, so the next year he wrote another book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Could Come in 89. You know, and we see this stuff all the time, and we laugh about it, but it's not so, it, it, it's not so laughable because, you know, um, there's just this, this uh, pretty well-known guy out of California, Harold Camping, who just passed away, that in, in uh, I think it was 2011, that he had everybody, a bunch of followers, all waiting. And, and he had done the same thing a couple decades earlier. And, and so people get a little goofy. And they, they dig and they try to figure all this stuff out. You know, and uh, and when it, what happens is when it doesn't happen, and you've gone out on a limb and said to people who don't know Jesus, you know, this is what's going to happen. What happens is that it kind of completely undermines your ability to, to, to tell people about Christ because they go, well, you're goofy, man. You said he's going to come in 88 and he didn't. You said he's going to come in 2011 and he didn't. And so why should I believe anything that you say? So Christians need to use wisdom and when, we, when we look at these kinds of topics. You see, I'm not very big into speculation. I don't like to speculate. I don't like to, to try to, to guess. And you know, I, want, I want to stick with the main and plain when it comes to God. And I want to, to stick with what I know for certain. So, what I want to tell you today are four things that we know for certain from God's Word about Christ's return. Write them down. I'm going to repeat them multiple times through here because one's going to build on the next. Four things we know for certain about the return of Christ. Ready? Number one is this. We know for certain something I've been talking about the whole time. It's this. Number one. Jesus is coming again. We know it for certain. I'm going to show you it in God's Word. The angels proclaimed it. We read that already, right? The angels stood there. Jesus said, and they said, they're coming back again. And if that was the only place in Scripture that it was said, well, then maybe we would say, well, what did, what, did they misunderstand or whatever? But throughout all of Scripture, 
it talks about Christ's returning. So not only did the angels proclaim it, but the disciples proclaimed it. Let's look at a, just one of those examples. Turn in your Bible just one page further in the book of Acts, in the chapter 2. And in chapter 2, what we have is this story of the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit um, upon the church and this, and this Holy Spirit's coming for power to, to take the gospel around the world. And, um, and on the day of Pentecost, you know, Peter stands up and he explains to the onlookers what's going on. And he quotes a prophecy from prophet Joel from 400 years earlier. And in Acts chapter 2, he basically quotes what, what Joel had prophesied earlier was going to happen. And, and Peter's saying, this is that. And in the middle of that quoting from Joel, he quotes this, and he says this. He says, this is what's going on. Look at starting in verse 19. We'll read 19 to 21. In the middle of Peter's sermon, he said, he's saying, what's going to happen? He said, and I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below and blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the glorious day of the Lord shall come, and it shall be that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see what it said there? Before the great and the glorious day of the Lord shall come. He proclaimed there was a glorious day in the future when the Lord shall come again. And the disciples live in that reality. He said that G. Peter, at the very beginning of the church, he's saying, listen, all kinds of stuff's going to happen before Christ comes again. He's saying Jesus is coming back. But it wasn't just the angels and it wasn't just the disciples but Jesus himself said he was going to come back. Flip back in your Bible just a few chapters, um, a few books into the book of John. John chapter 14. And see what Jesus had to say about this. In just one place that he said it. John 14, starting at the very, very beginning. This is what Jesus said to his disciples at the end of his ministry. Starting in verse 1. He says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and you, you know the way where I am going. See, Jesus said, I'm going away before it ever happened. He said, but I'm going to come again for my church. See, Scripture is clear. No speculation is necessary. Jesus is coming again. You can bank on it. So that's the first thing that we know for certain. No speculation necessary. Here's the second thing you can know for certain. And it's this. No one knows when he's coming again. No one knows when it will be. So writing a book about it is kind of setting yourself up for failure because no one knows. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples asked Jesus when he would establish his reign. And listen to his answer. We read it already once. Acts 1, 6 and 7. He says, they said, when are you, when are you going to do this? When are you going to establish your kingdom? And he said, verse, verse 6 of Acts 1. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. He says, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. Those are, whose words are those? Jesus' words. In fact, Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew that neither himself nor the angels of heaven know when he will return, but only God the Father knows what his plan is. It's in Matthew chapter 24. He says nobody knows when he's going to return. 
Church, this is such an important point for you to get when you think about the fact that Jesus is returning. Because I don't want you to get caught up in all the speculating that some people do. Now, I'm, I'm kind of belaboring this point a little bit this morning for this reason. There's a new book out. And some of you are aware of it. You know, it has to do with blood moons. You know, you're all going, oh, that one. By a good author. And maybe he's right. I don't know. But it's the newest book that is on the scene about, about how these moons are all going to be a certain way on these certain Jewish holidays and all this, and it all means that. And so, you know, so it comes down. So here's what I'll predict. There's going to be all kinds of Christians who are going, oh, don't you know, we're going to set a date because this and this and this are happening. And therefore, here's the deal. Everybody's been wrong who's wrote the books. They've written hundreds or thousands of them, and they're all wrong. And I'm, I'm not saying maybe he's right. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Jesus' words were what? Nobody knows. Right? So if nobody knows, who knows? Nobody. <laughs> right? And so nobody knows. And so I don't want you to get all caught up in the speculation and get all crazy and think, well, oh, it's all coming to an end today. We don't know. See, it's okay to try to read the times. It's okay to, to speculate a bit. But don't get weird in the process. Don't set dates and say, I'm going to change my life because of it. Because Jesus says, don't do it. Don't make the mistake of moving past, um, you know, just trying to, set, trying to determine it to read the times and make the mistake of speculating or, mis- or, or mistaking speculation for fact. That's what people do. It's okay to speculate, I guess. But don't mistake speculation for fact. Jesus gave us the facts. It's not for you to know when. Right? It's pretty clear. So, what do we know for certain so far? What's normal? What do we know for certain? Number one, Jesus is coming back. Number two, we don't know when. And now number three, we know this for certain. That it could be today. That's the third thing we know. It could be today. Turn to, to Matthew chapter 24 with me again. Let me explain what, what the book of Matthew chapter 24 and 25, what they're all about. Matthew 24 and 25 are the most extensive teachings that Jesus did about his second coming. Now, interestingly, he gives his whole two chapters to it. So he is concerned about teaching us about his second coming. And here's the most extensive teaching that Jesus did about his second coming in Matthew 24 and 25. Now, before we look at anything in here, let me point something out that maybe you would tend to overlook. That in the section of Scripture here, 24 and 25, where Jesus gives the most information about his second coming, he primarily uses the teaching tool, a genre of literature called parables. Now, what's a, you guys know what a parable is. It's a short story designed to communicate a spiritual truth or a moral lesson. Now, I think it's really interesting here that, that, that um, he uses parables to teach about something that people are going to try to set dates about and, and make definitions about. Um, because parables aren't used to communicate dates and details. Parables are used to communicate truth and values so when jesus was going to teach about the end times about the second coming he didn't just say and this is going to happen 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 two entire chapters devoted to parables that are teaching truths and values not dates and details you see the difference 
So, when Jesus is teaching about his second coming, he's using parables. His intention is to get us to understand the heart of what he's saying. So let's look at one of these parables, kind of in between two of them actually, and grasp for the Lord's heart of what he's teaching. Look at Matthew 24, starting in verse 36. It says this, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like in the days of Noah. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in a field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. So let's grab, grab for the heart here. Well, we know one of the hard things is saying is, is that um, we don't know when, but there's something else here. What is the heart of what Jesus is teaching about his second coming here? He's saying this. He's saying that life is going to be going on just like it always does, and then, without warning, Jesus will return for his bride, the church. That's the heart of what he's trying to communicate here. So he says what? Two men will be working... And without warning, one will be taken, raptured into the presence of Christ. He says two women will be doing their daily chores. And without warning, without any events to occur first, Jesus will return for his bride, the church. He says that just like in the days of Noah, people will be eating and drinking and marrying. And without warning, Jesus will come. What's the heart of what he's trying to say here? He's saying Jesus could come at any moment without warning, and therefore, it could be today. Because without warning, at any moment, therefore, it could be today. The uh, term that the church uses for this is this word, imminent. They'll talk about the imminent return of Christ. What that means is that it's likely to happen without delay. That is another word I think is maybe better to understand. It's impending. That it's impending. Christ's return is impending. You see, here's how it works. From God's perspective, remember, God doesn't see things the way we see them. God's not linear. God doesn't have, doesn't have a watch and set things this way. He sees everything, the end from the beginning. And from God's perspective, he knows what he's planning to do. It says he's the one who knows the times and the seasons. Um, so he knows what he's going to do. And he knows what he has yet to accomplish, if he has anything at all to accomplish. That's God's perspective. But our perspective, we do live by a watch. We do live in a linear world. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And from our perspective, we don't know God's plan. We have no idea. But what we do know is that, the, that Christ is coming and that his coming is impending, that it's imminent, that it just may be today because he's going to come without warning. Today is the day just possibly that the Lord has set for Christ's return. And we must live in that reality. And this is the way I've always looked at it in my life. Live like Jesus is coming back today, but make plans as though Jesus is not coming back for a very long period of time. 
And so does that see the difference? You live your life um, walking in holiness because you just might meet him today. But you plan your life saying, how do we reach the world? How do we evangelize? How do we raise our children? You know, what do we do? A forward focus saying, but he might not come for a long time. So that brings us, brings us into then our fourth point. That, that living in the reality of Jesus, that he could return today, um, knowing that I might meet my Savior today does something in me. And it's the fourth point. It's this. Living in the reality that he might return today, then we need, number four, to be ready. Look again with me at Matthew 24. This time we'll start in verse 42. Listen to the parable he teaches. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert, would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. I love that. So all the guys who write the books and say, this is when he's going to come. Jesus' own word says, he's going to come at a time you don't think he's going to come. Okay? So I didn't mess with everybody, I believe. Okay? Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and the sensible slave whom the master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the slave whom his master finds doing, uh, doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with, with the drunkards, the master of the slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what do we know for sure? Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. It could be today. And according to this, we better be ready. Right? Jesus uses a parable about slaves that serve a master. And he says one slave is sensible. He was doing what the master told him to do while the master was gone. And when the master returned, he was rewarded for it. But it says one of the slaves in this parable wasn't sensible. And he said in his heart, remember we're talking about what, what we have in our heart that would define how we're going to live. What's normal anyways for us to feel inside to generate what we do. And he said in his heart, my, my master's not coming back for a long time. He could say this in 2014. He didn't come in 2014 years. My master's not coming back for a long time. So he mistreated others. He didn't act in a godly way. And it says that he became a drunkard. And it says that slave was punished for his actions when the master returned. So we look at this parable and we say, what's the heart of the story? And this is the heart. Friends, live in such a way that you won't be embarrassed when Jesus returns. Live in su- Be ready. Live in such a way that you won't be embarrassed when Jesus returns. What a simple way to live. What a simple way to make decisions. Only do or say things that would not make you embarrassed, but would rather make you proud if Jesus returned at that moment. See, what the people want to do is they want to make a list of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. What's, here's the problem with it. It's impossible. You can't make an exhaustive list. And situations differ. So you don't need a list of do's and don'ts. What you simply need to say is, I want to live in such a way 
that I won't be embarrassed when Jesus returns. That every moment of my life, I live in the reality that Christ might come, so I want to be ready. Friends, that's what being ready is all about. Um, using the life that Jesus has given you to serve him as you walk in relationship with him, and then according to the parables, and be rewarded by God himself for that life well lived when he returns. And living every day saying, it just might be today. So you know what, friends? Here's how you sum it up. Be ready, because Jesus is coming back, and it just might be today. So what's normal anyway? It's living in the reality that Jesus is coming back. That's what's normal anyway. Now think of this as, we, as I wrap up. How much different is that, that focus on life, than the typical focus on life? Living in this reality that you just might meet your maker today. How would that change your life? So when we look at what's normal anyway, as we say, what's normal anyway is if I really live it, it's going to look different than everybody else around me. Because you live in such a way that you won't be embarrassed when he returns. You live in such a way that, that's welcoming him, him into your life and saying, this just might be the day that I meet Jesus. And this is the truth. The church calls that the blessed hope. Because, friends, when you're walking in grace, in a love relationship with Jesus, then you're saying, like I find myself saying all the time, especially the older I get, Jesus Please make it today. When you're a little younger, you say, oh, but I want to do this. Suzanne's always told me. She said, oh, she's always afraid Jesus would return before she got married. Then she was afraid Jesus would return before she had children. You know, I don't know. Now it's probably before we have grandchildren. I'm not sure what it is. But here's the deal. The longer I live, I'm just like, like in one of the epistles ends, and Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. Like, I want you to come back today because I want to go to heaven. I wanna, I, I, I'm, I'm tired of the sin-filled world. And you know what? We endure it. We walk through it. We walk in a way that says, I want to live in a way that if you come right now, Jesus, you're going you're gonna to say, what a great servant. What a great child of mine. I want to live in that kind of way. So I won't be ashamed. I won't be embarrassed. And I say, God, that's better than anything this world has to offer. Amen, church? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Let's thank Jesus that he has a plan. Father, thank you that you have a plan in your, in your heart. you got it all worked out. That you're the one who knows the days and the seasons. That God, you're the one who will put signs in the, in the skies. You said it. And so, God, we, we do look with great anticipation and say, it's surely obvious that your return is closer than it was yesterday. And, God, we, we look into your word and we know some things for certain. We know that you're going to come back. We don't know when, but it might be today, so we want to be ready. And so, Father, right now, we just give our hearts openly to you. And we say, Lord, if there's anything inside of us that doesn't belong there, God, we surrender it to you. In your mercy and your grace, help us to grow and change. Lord Jesus, 
guide us, lead us, so that we live lives that bring great glory to you and great advancement to your cause, the establishment of your kingdom. God, help us to not be sidetracked by things of this world, even things the world says is normal. The world says, oh, be committed to that or be devoted to that. And they're not things that accomplish your your kingdom. God, help us to see the futility in that, to being devoted to what's most important, walking with you and influencing others for for your sake. Because God, just maybe, we know from your word, just maybe you're going to come back today. And we do cry with the, with the writer of the epistle and say, even so, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. God, come back. We want you. We're, we're hungry for your return. We want to see you, God, uh, rule and reign. We want this, this corruption to come to an end. We want what the world has seen as normal right now to be the sin-filled world to come to an end and for you to come and establish your rule and reign again. So, Father, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. We look for your return, and we want to be ready. So, God, speak to our hearts. If there's anything inside of us that we're not ready, God, speak to us.